Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Christian Fellowship. So glad you're all here with us today. Hey, you guys skated in from Chatham. How was the highway? Awesome, eh? (laughs) They didn't have plows out when I came in, which means that when the worship team came in, there was no plows either. Anyway, uh, thank you all for coming in with the snow. Glad you can be here with us. Last week, we talked about the armor of God and how it's both an offensive and a, and a defensive uh, part. We didn't finish that because we didn't go through the sword of the spirit, which is what I want to try to look at uh, today. Um, but we did talk about truth and faith and righteousness and salvation. And in Ephesians six seventeen, the second part of the verse, it says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's start with that. The, the Greek sword here, um, Machaira. Um, is the Greek word that they use. And, and the Greeks had several swords that they would use. They had a training sword that was this big two-handed sword that they would swing at the target, right, the, just to practice. But it was not practical to bring out on the battlefield. It was a little bit too heavy uh, to be swinging all the time. But what it did is it strengthened their arms so that they grabbed the lighter swords. Um, they were able to use those with a lot more, um, I'm going to say vigor, <laughs> And uh, they, had the, they had the long sword, which is the one we're most familiar with. We see those in the movies all the time, those long swords. Uh, and, and those swords were good and effective, but often they would swing at the enemy from the side. And that would wound them, but it wouldn't usually kill them. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're going to war, you want to kill the enemy combatants. You don't want them to stay alive because if they're wounded, they can get better and then they're going to come looking for you. They're going to come back. And then the war continues longer and longer. Um, Some people don't understand that in war there's casualties. People die. Wow. The Bible even says there's a time for war and a time for peace. But anyway, that's not my point today. The Machaira was a short sword used in combat, almost like a dagger, 18, 19 inches long. Was that about 40, 45 centimeters? And uh, often it would either curve up at the tip or it would have almost like a corkscrew. And that sword that Paul was referencing here in Ephesians 6, the Machaira, it instilled terror into the enemies of the Roman soldiers because. If they were to stab you with that sword and twist, it would shred you inside. And that would become a mortal or a fatal wound. So they didn't want to just injure you. They wanted to kill you. And if you got hit with one of those, it was all over. And, and the thing that we have to understand is we have a real enemy, Satan. And when he gets too close to us, we have the word of God, which I'm going to talk about today. And we can pull out the word of God and we can shred his assault against us. So let's start with the Greek. Um, The word of God is translated two ways. If you've been around for more than five minutes in Christianity, you probably know in Greek, the word of God is logos or legos, however you want to say it. And then 
rhema. I'm going to say logos and rhema for the sake of today. And then I've got some definitions I, I, I got for you from things like Thayer's Theological Dictionary or, or Kittle's uh, lexicon. Uh, anyway, so they, they kind of give you like the actual definitions of these words in, in they're the Greek scholars, gurus. Logos, it's preeminently used of Christ, expressing the thoughts of the Father through the Spirit. So often it's referring to Jesus as the Word. We also know that Logos is the revealed Word of God or the general Word of God. I'm going to explain that a little bit more as we go through today's message. But for instance, in Hebrews chapter 4 that we just read, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So that word there in this verse is logos, right? So it's talking about the revealed general word of God. Um, and what happens is when you know your Bible, okay, you have a sword, you have the word of God. That's not the one that Paul's referencing here, but the word of God is important because it discerns your motives. So when you're reading the word of God, it's going to expose what's going on inside of your heart. And if you're not doing things right, the word of God is going to shine light on that and you need to make the adjustments that we need to make. Now, from there, I want to go to John chapter one because this is also logos, logos. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything and was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never be extinguished or the darkness can never extinguish it. And if you were to jump down to verse 14, you would see, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is Logos. This is Jesus when he was revealed to humanity. He came and he lived among us. He took on human flesh. He lived among us. He was the word of God manifest in flesh. So you've got the Bible, which is God's revealed word, the logos, Jesus, logos, okay? Now, rhema is a little bit different. Rhema is a spoken word made by the living voice that's there. Who's the living voice? There's only one living voice, people. God. When he speaks, it's rhema. It's commonly used in the New Testament, and also in some of the Latin manuscripts, for the Lord speaking his dynamic living word in a believer to in-birth faith. So God speaks rhema into your life to birth faith in the heart of the believer. So there's a context here. You have to be a believer if God's going to speak to you and birth faith inside of you. Now, the sword of the spirit that we're talking about in Ephesians 6 is actually the word of God, rhema. Now, Vine's Bible Dictionary explains it this way. The significance of rhema as distinct from Logos, is exemplified in the injunction to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. Here the reference is not to the whole Bible as such, but to the individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our rem remembrance for use in time of need, a prerequisite being the regular storing of the minds with scriptures. So we have to spend time reading God's word, the Bible. And then what happens is, in the moment, the Spirit will give us the verse that we need to face the situation that we're facing in the moment. But it's like I tell my kids, I see a couple more over here. It's exam week for the high school students. Okay, they have exams coming up. If you study for your exams and put in the work, 
you can pray and say, Jesus, please help me remember the things that I've studied. And he can bring them to your remembrance. But if you don't study the content, what's he going to bring to your remembrance? The video game you played or the TikTok that you were watching? That's not going to help you on your exam. Do you see how this works? It's the same for the Christian. If you don't spend any time in the word, you don't have a lot of ammunition for God to bring to your remembrance when it comes time to fight the enemy. That's why I tell people, read the Bible. It's really important. Now, here's some other rhema verses. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus told him, know the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan, Jesus went out in the wilderness, right? Fasted for 40 days. He's probably hungry. Anyone ever fast for 40 days? Some of you can't fast 40 minutes. Back in high school, we did the 40-hour famine where people would fast for almost two days to kind of remember those that didn't have food. Some of you grew up in my era. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But see, Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Satan comes and he starts tempting him. And he's like, hey, Jesus, just turn this stone to bread. And Jesus looks at Satan and says, you know what? Man doesn't live by bread alone but by the rhema of God, the inspired word of God, the scriptures coming alive to you in the moment to combat the temptation of the enemy. Jesus knew the scriptures. That's why he quoted the scriptures three times to Satan, and Satan left him alone. Jesus shredded his assault with the word of God, and Satan had to leave. That's what we're supposed to do. When Satan comes in to tempt us, when Satan comes in to lie to us, we take out the word of God and we shred his assault. There's another one in Luke 2, 28 to 32. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people Israel. So Jesus is going in the temple to get circumcised on the eighth day. Simeon's praying in the temple, and he had a rhema word from God that he wasn't going to die till he saw the Messiah. And when Jesus came in, the Spirit revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah. And what did he say? My eyes have seen the King. I've seen your salvation. Now let me die. I'm old. I want to go meet you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Or what Simeon said, right? He had a rhema from God that he was... Now, now, did God give that word to everyone? No. God didn't tell everyone to go wait at the temple. They were going to see the Messiah. He gave Simeon that rhema. He gave Simeon that specific word. Do you understand? No? Let's go to Romans 10, 17. So then faith is by a report, and the report through a saying of God, or another way. So faith proceeds from spiritual hearing. Moreover, this hearing is consummated through a rhema word. Thayer's theological dictionary. Properly, that which is or has been uttered by the living voice, thing, spoken, word. Now, now let me quote Bill Hammond, because I really like the way he ties logos and rhema together, and this is what I'm trying to get to. The Logos is the general word of God that communicates his ability to do something or his general will on a matter. Okay, that's your, your scriptures. His ability to do it, his ability to create life, his ability to create things for us, with us, in us, right? And then 
Rhema is a word the Holy Spirit quickens to a specific person for a specific situation. And then he uses some analogies to describe this. Logos is a well of water. Rhema is a bowl of water from that well. He says that um, Logos is the piano with all of its keys, where Rhema is one note or one key on the keyboard. Uh, Logos is like the operation of the whole, the whole body, the, the whole person, whereas Rhema is the operation of one part. For instance, I have my whole body here, but like my finger's doing this, you know. It's the operation of the finger. That's the Rhema portion of it. So you've got the whole Word of God, the Bible, but specific revelation comes to you in the moment when you go to war. That's your Makaira. That's your sword of the Spirit that we have to pull out those Rhema words from God. Now, you have to get specific application or direction in your life every day for every situation you face or every circumstance and every lie that the enemy throws against you. How many know the enemy lies to you sometimes? This week, has the enemy told you you're not good enough? Has he told you you're not able? Has he told you you're to be discouraged and depressed and down and afraid? I mean, how many times does Satan walk up to you and say, you're an overcomer? You're such a good Christian. He's a liar. He couldn't say that if he wanted to. He's a liar. The sword we use in spiritual warfare is a specific word given for that situation, not just general warfare scriptures. In a personal battle that we face every day, we need to approach God for a revelation for that time. And I'll tell you something. The rhema he gave you last year for a situation is not likely going to be the rhema that he gives you for today. Because last year when you were standing at the crossroads, he said, go left. And this year he might say, go right. Or he might say, turn around and go over there. When the enemy is attacking you, has anyone ever been attacked by the enemy? Has anyone ever gone to war? I told you last week, we're all soldiers. We're all in a battle. Whether you acknowledge it or not is another conversation. Whether you dress up for battle or not is another conversation. People that go to battle without armor, you know what happens to them? They die quickly, <laughs> more quickly. You have to know the scriptures. You have to know the word of God. The Logos gives a framework which God can speak to you. Rhema then is your personal weapon to be used to repel the attacks of the enemy. If you do not have a storehouse or a treasury of scripture hidden within your heart, how is the spirit going to quicken that verse to you in the moment? I'm going to suggest to you when the enemy comes in like a flood, Google isn't going to help you. You can't Google it. Ah, sure, you can use Google. What do I do when the enemy comes in like a flood? And the Bible verse will pull up and it'll say, the Spirit of the Lord rises up a standard. What does that mean? You need the living voice to tell you what that means so that it can activate faith in your spirit so that you can withstand your enemy. If you go to Facebook and ask your friends what they think before you go to God and ask him what he thinks, you got it wrong. You catching this? In life, there are seasons when we need specific direction. I remember when I was young and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Anyone ever been there? Some of you still are. I had all these options on the table. I could have gone into petroleum. I could have gone into banking. I could have been a computer programmer. In fact, that was the one I liked the most. I, pro 
promise I never hacked any of you. It's been 25 years. I don't do that no more. <laughs> but see, I was kind of progressing on a certain path. But one day, when I was seeking God, he gave me a very specific word to go into ministry. And I wrestled with him and argued with him. I really didn't want to be a pastor. I know how they treat pastors. <laughs> and uh, so I specifically chose a Bible school that focused on missions, youth, and worship, and not pastoral studies. Guess what happened halfway down there? <laughs> My school instituted a pastoral studies program. Guess who ended up in it? I did. Then I went on the mission field. Then I came back here. See, you need to get specific words. Even when I was on the mission field, love and life in the Philippines, I didn't want to come back to Canada. I was pretty happy there. And I had to get a rhema. I had to get a word from God to tell me, no, your assignment here is done and I want you to go back here. No, God, you didn't really say that. I'm having too much fun out here. Life is grand. I felt like I had worked so hard to get to a place where could I be, uh, how could I say that, where I could actually be effective in the culture there. I was conversational in the language. I had made relationships across the country. I was able to go share faith. We could plant churches. There was things that we could do. But that wasn't what God wanted me to continue doing. He wanted me to come back here. So you got to get a rhema. You got to get a rhema word. I'm glad I came back because that leads me to the next thing I needed direction on. I was still single and I needed to get married. I met this wonderful young lady over here. But when I met her and the time I took her out, I wanted to get a rhema from God. I wanted to hear from God on what was going on. And, and, and sometimes we, we get our emotions in the way and they confuse and we blame God for something that isn't really God talking to us. So that's why I suggest if you're gonna get emotionally attached to someone first, you're going to have a hard time praying about relationship because you're going to hear it through the lens of your emotion. But I got a couple witnesses anyways. I had, I had some people that spoke into that that confirmed the word that I was hearing, which leads me to, and I think it's 2 Corinthians 13, 1, and somewhere around Deuteronomy 19, don't quote me, 5, 6, 16, 50. Anyway, the Bible talks about out of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So generally, when we talk about doctrine, you want to build doctrine based on two or three verses. You never want to just build a doctrine on one obscure passage. You know, I laugh about this one all the time. It's not really funny, but, you know, Judas went and hanged himself. We don't make a doctrine. Let's go hang ourselves. Number one, it's out of its context because it wasn't a good thing that he did, you know. Number two, that's not consistent with what the rest of the scriptures teach. So what happens is we, we, we need two or three witnesses. The logos, the general word of God, is always going to align with itself. Scripture interprets scripture. That's the first rule. But the rhema, you always want to get two or three witnesses. So when God speaks to you something, you need to get a couple witnesses. And sometimes it's the word of God. And, and I'm going to explain this one more time. And you'll hear me say it again. Your rhema will never contradict the logos. 
The spoken word that God gives you will never contradict what he's already revealed to us in his written word. So people come in and say, well, pastor, you know, I was talking to God and he said it's okay if we have sex before we're married. I appreciate that you think it's a rhema, but it's not a rhema from God. It's a rhema from your flesh. It's a rhema from the devil, but it can't be from God because over and over again, the scriptures condemn immorality as sin. It's quiet in here today. Sometimes it's really important um, when you don't know which way to turn or you don't know what the right choice is. Pray first. Ask God. If he can't answer it, no one can. I mean, think about this. I see my friend Mike here. He prayed and asked God what football team to cheer for, and of course, his team won. I have another friend named Mike, and he must not have heard God clearly because his team lost. (laughs) To be honest, God doesn't care about football unless it takes his place in your heart. Do you see how that works? I don't think he really cares who wins. But what he does want is he wants to be number one in your life. And if you put a sport or you put some other activity in the place that God is where it takes more of your time, energy, effort, and thought life, guess what? You've got an idol. And you need to lay it down. So let me ask a few questions here. Are you a soldier or are you a slave? Are you going to put on your armor and go to war? Or are you just going to do what the devil tells you to do? Because if you just do what the devil tells you to do, you're a slave. And the Bible says, don't be a slave to sin. Are you courageous or are you a coward? I can't answer that for you. You have to determine. Are you going to obey God even when it's hard? When you're sitting around the water cooler at work, if they still have those in the lunchroom, whatever, and someone's telling an off-color joke, do you address it? Or do you just snicker and laugh and let it go? See, I I remember I was down, I was working at the bank in Dallas. And a guy came in, his name, I remember his first name was Byron. And he was running with the Dallas Crips. And then his girlfriend had a baby and looked at him and said, "Um, you want to see your baby? You need to get a real job, like a real man, and stop running around with these boys that think they're men, playing the gang thing, making honest living. And he really wanted to be a good dad, so he got a job at the bank. Problem was, uh, he didn't really know how to talk to people in a professional context, and every time someone said something, he twisted it to something sexual innuendo. And mostly women in the bank were very uncomfortable with that. So after about a week and a half, I was thinking, man, this guy's going to get fired. He's not even going to make his 90 days because someone's going to complain and they're just going to walk him out. but God told me to talk to him. And it was really funny because he arranged it like 10 seconds later because I had just finished in the restroom and there wasn't anybody within 50 meters of us and he was just coming in and he was a big boy. Bigger than you, Rolly. (laughs) He was a big boy. 
And I remember, hey, Byron, I got to talk to you for a second. He's like, okay. Now, he was on his way in to the bathroom. I was on my way out, you know. And, and I, I, just, I just explained to him, I said, you know, you really need to stop talking like this because you're going to lose your job, and I know you really want it. So let me help you. Stop doing that. And he did, and he kept his job, and he became a great guy. Like, he was a great guy. He just had that one issue. Well, anyways. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. That was a big issue for him that he had to overcome. But, but that was a rhema that I got in the moment to talk to him about that. I could have just said, yeah, whatever. It was an awkward conversation. And for a moment, I wasn't sure when he said, okay, if he was going to punch me. But he was on his way in, so I think he had another thing to go take care of. <laughs> but see, in the moment, are you courageous or are you a coward? When God says, step up and say something, do you or do you bow? to what's comfortable. Are you obedient to God or are you defiant to his wishes for your life, his desires for your life? Do you obey his commands or do you disobey his commands? Are you a lover of truth or a spreader of lies? Jesus addressed the religious leaders and he called them son of the devil, right? A liar. He was the father of liars. When the devil's talking, he's lying. He can't tell the truth because he's the father of lies. And if he's telling you the truth, he's twisting it. How about you? Do you love truth or do you spread lies? Are you a peacemaker or do you create unnecessary conflict? I had something else in my notes about a disturber, but I decided to go with create unnecessary conflict. Much more sanitized that I don't give, to, give people something to talk about. <laughs> Which one are you? You have to determine in your heart what your motive is. Are you creating peace or are you creating strife? Are you filled with faith or are you filled with fear? What determines your actions? What governs your behavior? Are you taking up your armor and going to war or are you cowering in the corner? When's the last time you picked up your armor and put it on? When's the last time you sharpened your sword? You gotta read your Bible. You have a really dull sword. Dull swords don't do what sharp swords do. Are you living a righteous life or an immoral life? Hey, God's your judge, not me. You can lie to me, but you can't lie to him. If you're not living right, change. If you want to be a Christian, then be a Christian. Don't call yourself a Christian and live like the world. You're wasting your time. Are you born again or are you a sinner? Because the truth is, if you're not born again, if you're not in relationship with Christ, you don't even have the right to wear his armor. For one, you wouldn't know what to do with it. We have to be in relationship with Jesus, taking on his nature, taking on his character. That's how he wants us to live. Listen, God has given us the sword of the spirit. 
It is to be aimed at Satan, not people. Did everyone hear me say that? People are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. You need to tell yourself that because some of you think that people are your enemy. People are not your enemy. Satan's your enemy. Peter had a sword in the garden of Gethsemane on the night Jesus was betrayed. Judas shows up with somewhere between three and 600 men, soldiers, armed to arrest Jesus. And Malchus, it says, the servant of the high priest, but most, most scholars believe that he was like the high priest's right-hand man. He was well-known in the Jewish leadership. And Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off his right ear. Now, my gut read is he wasn't aiming for his ear. He was aiming for his head, and he missed. Or maybe he moved. I guess if someone's swinging a sword at your head, you'd move too. But he cut off his ear. And I find it interesting, because in the middle of God's redemptive plan for humanity as it goes into action, Keep in mind, Peter was operating on his own. Jesus didn't ask him for help. Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, let's fight. He said, one statement, I am. And all those soldiers fell back onto the ground. He didn't need help. With his words alone, he could have won that war. But he was willing to sacrifice himself because he loved you and he loved me. So first, Jesus pauses the redemption. Hold on a second, guys. You can't arrest me yet. I need to take care of something. And he heals the guy's ear. But there's actually something really funny in that. The Sadducees were like the ruling party. So, so Sadducees, Pharisees made up the Sanhedrin, which was basically the Jewish politicians. And they hated Jesus. <laughs> But the Sadducees, they hated him a lot because they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. And Jesus' whole ministry was supernatural and miracles. So the high priest was a Sadducee. He didn't believe in the miraculous. He didn't believe in the supernatural. So Malchus, being his right-hand man, and then Jesus supernaturally restores his ear. That rocked their theology a little bit, don't you think? (laughs) That would have got their attention. You know, a little bit later in the book of Acts where it says a great number of the priests, the priesthood, came to the faith. I have to wonder if that got their attention. Because he would have been reputable, Malchus. And if Malchus would have said, hey guys, I know you don't believe in the supernatural, but Jesus, he healed my ear. Peter cut it off, and Jesus put it back on. And Jesus fixed Peter's problem, so Peter doesn't have to go to prison. (laughs) But keep in mind, he operated in grace and mercy towards people who desired him to be dead. Can we operate in grace and mercy towards people that desire us to be dead? Sometimes that's hard. Why don't you stand up with me? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never been born again, if you've never repented of your sin, 
I want you to come talk to me right after service. I want to pray with you. That's the first step in the Christian life is repentance. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about baptism. The Bible tells us that we have to repent and be baptized. These things are key parts of our Christian journey. And you really can't follow Christ without repentance. It should be something that daily happens in the life of the believer. We should constantly be repenting for the wrong attitudes, the wrong beliefs, the wrong actions that we exhibit and for our disobedience. But as we have the bread in our hands, you know, for Christians, this is our covenant meal. We do this in remembrance of our King who died for us. We do this to remember that Jesus willingly allowed himself to go and get hung on a tree, brutally executed because of your sin and because of mine. So Father, as we have the bread in our hands, we're reminded that your word says that you hung on the tree and took stripes for our healing. And I speak life over the bodies of every individual in this room. Sickness and disease has to go in the name of Jesus. Anything out of alignment needs to come into alignment. Anything impure or infected needs to be clean and pure. Father, I speak life and relief healing power right now. Releasing healing power in the name of Jesus to flow through every saint. And Father, we will go to war for healing. And we go to war for emotional healing too. There's deep wells of pain in some, but I thank you that by your spirit, you bring healing to deep wells of pain. There's someone here even right now that says I'm broken beyond repair and God wants you to know nothing is impossible for him and he makes all things new. There's someone else right now. I think you're listening remotely. Your marriage is shattered. And to both of you, I say, put your selfishness aside. Take up your cross. Look to the king and he'll restore your relationship. Father, I thank you that you make all things new in the name of Jesus. Father, as we have the cup, the blood of the new covenant, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We are clean, we are holy. The debt of our sin is paid with your blood, and we're so grateful to you for that. But Father, as you've released us, we release others. Thank you that bitterness and anger and resentment have no place in our hearts. Help us to operate in love and mercy and grace towards those who wish ill upon us for whatever reason. Be glorified in your church today, Father, and we receive in Jesus' name. God bless you all. There is a promised land waiting for me. Sometimes there's an ocean 
Freedom is coming and it has 